السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected brothers and sisters once again we find ourselves in the Ashurul Hajj, the months of Hajj, coming very close to the beginning of the blessed month of the Hijjah. Already people have started to converge on the holy city of Mecca. with the intention of performing this year's Hajj. There are many of us who are still destined to travel there this year. And if not ourselves, then we surely know many individuals, family, amongst family, friends, colleagues and acquaintances who will also be travelling for Hajj this year or who have already departed. <coughs> hajj is one of the pillars of Islam. And although the ibadah, the act of worship of hajj, is restricted to a particular time and a particular location, and not everybody will be performing hajj at the same time, it is still an act of worship and a pillar of Islam which affects all of us every year, and which holds a great meaning for every single Muslim, regardless of whether they are travelling or not. In fact, regardless of whether they ever manage to find a path to the house of Allah. The message of Hajj is not restricted to Mecca and its vicinity, The meaning of Hajj is not restricted to just the months of Hajj. The meaning and message of Hajj are both universal and perennial. They are applicable for all Muslims in all locations at all times of the year. Like with any other act of worship in Islam, Hajj has an exterior. 
But what really matters is its interior. On the surface, like other acts of worship in Islam, there are certain rites and rituals, certain movements, postures, modes of dress, certain external prohibitions, injunctions, prescriptions and proscriptions, things to do, things to avoid. And on the surface, the truth is that some of these rites and rituals of Hajj may seem strange to an onlooker. And this is evidenced by something which Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab said and did. But before I share that with you, with you, just to remind ourselves that Hajj, like Salah, like Zakah, like Siyam, fasting, Hajj has an inner dimension. And it is this inner spirituality and the deeper inner meaning and message which is actually applicable to all people at all times and not just restricted to the months of Hajj and to the places of Hajj. Even for the Hajjaj, the pilgrims themselves, there is a much greater meaning than these external rites and rituals. And this is illustrated by a very beautiful story of a scholar who was visited by someone who had just returned from Hajj. And the pilgrim related to this scholar his joy and his gratitude to Allah for having been able to complete the obligation of Hajj. So the scholar asked him, when you were at such a location and you were performing this rite, when you were at such and such a spot and you were performing this ritual, when you were saying this, when you were doing this, when you were moving from here to there, And he mentioned all of the rites and rituals and the locations and the stops of Hajj. And on each one he asked him, did you feel this? Did you experience this? Is this what you thought? And every question that he asked about the way the person felt, about what he thought had nothing to do with the apparent external ritual, but an inner feeling, an inner experience. And eventually, when the pilgrim answered in the negative to all of his questions, the scholar said to him, you have not performed Hajj, go back next year. Now, he wasn't denying that the obligation of Hajj had been fulfilled. Rather, what the scholar was trying to say is Hajj isn't just about cladding oneself in two simple pieces of cloth, travelling to the holy city of Mecca and the vicinity, performing the rituals and the rites in a very routine, mechanical, ritual fashion. Even if someone does that, the obligation of Hajj is lifted. Just like, for instance, someone who performs 
Asr Salah, extremely late, almost close to sunset. And when they perform the Asr Salah close to sunset, although the person reads and recites and completes the external rituals of Salah in a very rapid manner, the obligation of Salah may be lifted. No one will argue and say that the Salah itself wasn't valid. But how does the Messenger وسلم, describe such a Salah himself? He says, Tilka Salatul Munafiqeen, Tilka Salatul Munafiqeen, Tilka Salatul Munafiqeen. Thrice he said, This is the Salah, the prayer of the hypocrites. This is the prayer of the hypocrites. This is the prayer of the hypocrites. Yajlisu ahaduhum. حتى إذا كانت الشمس بين قرني الشيطان أو قال على قرني الشيطان قام فنقر أربعا لا يذكر الله فيهن إلا قليلا. This is a prayer of the hypocrites. This is a prayer of the hypocrites. This is a prayer of the hypocrites. One of them remains seated until when the sun is between the two horns of shaytan or on the horns of shaytan. I close to sunset. He rises, and then he pecks four times. So the Prophet ﷺ actually describes his prayer as the four rak'at, he describes as the four peckings of a chicken or a poultry bird. And he says he pecks four times. He likens his falling into prostration rapidly as the pecking of a poultry bird. And then he says, he pecks four times, he does not remember Allah much in these four peckings. So no one will argue that such a salah is not valid. It may be valid in the sense that the external rituals have been completed and the obligation has been lifted. And yet, even the Messenger ﷺ describes such a prayer as a prayer of the hypocrites. And he likens a four rak'at to the four peckings of someone. And the same will go for fasting. In a hadith, Prophet ﷺ, in many hadith actually, we learn that the fast merely becomes a shell, an empty rite, an empty ritual. An empty mechanical performance, devoid and bereft of meaning, if the fast is not a fast. So this is what the scholar meant in the same sense, that Hajj may have its external rites and rituals, but the truth is that Hajj has an inner dimension, which if not fulfilled, then although the obligation of Hajj has been lifted, the reality of Hajj has not been realized. And that's for someone who actually travels to Hajj. And as I said earlier, regardless of whether we travel to Hajj or not, the, the inner dimension, the inner spirituality, the inner and more profound meaning and message of Hajj is applicable to all of us, regardless of whether we are pilgrims or not. And as I said earlier, the external rites and rituals of Hajj may seem odd to an onlooker. Or to a newcomer. And this is evidenced by the words of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi and 
Imam Muslim and most of the other authors of hadith have related that Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab approached the Al-Hajr al-Aswad, the black stone. And then <coughs> he kissed it. And then addressing the black stone, he said, I know that you are just a stone. You can neither harm or benefit. And if it wasn't for the fact that Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam had kissed you, I would have never kissed you. And Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and the other authors also relate another hadith, a similar one, in which Sayyidina Umar ibn, and this is a wording of, Sahih, uh, of Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu approached the al-Hajr al-Aswad, the black stone, and then he did istilam, which is without the kissing, just the raising of the hands, or the touching. And he did istilam. It's a form of greeting. So he did istilam, he greeted the black stone, and then he said, I know that you are merely a stone, a rock. You can neither benefit or harm anyone. And if it wasn't for the fact that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had done your istilam, he had greeted you, I would have never greeted you. And then Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anh continued, referring to the ramal. Ramal is the swaggering that a pilgrim performs in the first three rounds of the tawaf, after which... There is a sa'i. So a pilgrim, the male pilgrim, will in the first three rounds of the tawaf perform a ramal. And a ramal means a combination of things. One, he will quicken his pace. Furthermore, he will walk with a swagger, with protruding chest, swaying, swaggering shoulders. And bearing his arms and shoulders. So this is known as a ramal. So Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu said, What connection do we have? What do we have to do with ramal? It was something that we did to intimidate the pagans. And Allah has caused them to perish. But we only continue to do it because it was something the Messenger sallallahu did and told us to do and we will not leave the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu So the point I wish to make from these three narrations of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu that they all have an exterior, they all have an exterior. The kissing of the black stone, the greeting of the black stone the performance of the ramal in the first three rounds of tawaf. And yet, there is another reason for all three of these things. So, what are the inner dimensions, what are some, we cannot encompass all of them, but what are some of the inner dimensions and the inner, spirit, inner meaning and message of, and the inner spirituality of hajj? 
What are some of the things that we can say about this? Well, first of all, Hajj is a great journey. But in reality, it's a reminder and a preparation for a greater journey than the journey of Hajj itself. One. Hajj is a reminder and a teaching and a practical demonstration and application of the egalitarian principles and teachings of Islam. In that all people are equal, regardless of ethnicity, colour, complexion, background, social status, wealth, riches, political position or lack of it. We are all equal. And Hajj is a practical demonstration of that equality. And a reminder. Hajj is a reminder of... Number three, Hajj is a reminder of the reality of life. Hajj is a reminder of our lowly reality. Of our humble beings. Of who we truly are. Hajj is a reminder of our dependence on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we perform all of these external rituals of Hajj, they have a very different meaning. And if we imagine, if we just simply and quickly recollect what a person does in Hajj, a person makes intention, embarks on a journey, clads oneself in two simple pieces of cloth, in the case of men, males, and then, once the person enters into the state of ihram, there's no clipping of the nails, there's no trimming of the hair, there's no removal of, there's no usage of perfume, fragrance, soap, etc. There's no covering of the head, there's no wearing of normal stitched clothes. There are all these prohibitions of things that are normally halal and permissible anyway. And then when the person travels in this state to Makkah al-Mukarramah, upon arrival a person does tawaf around the Kaaba, greeting the Al-Hajr al-Aswad, the black stone, doing istilam, drinking from the well of Zimzim, running to and fro between the two hillocks of Safa and Marwa, performing the Sa'i. And then... In the days of Hajj, camping in Mina, performing salawat there, just camping in this simply clad state. And then proceeding to the plain of Arafat. And then just praying there all day long. Then to Muzdalifah, just simply moving from one location to the other, stationing oneself, and in all of these locations, remaining in that simple clad state, camping, and praying to Allah and worshipping, and constantly supplicating to Him. And then, on the tenth day of the Hijjah, on the third day of Hajj, what does a person do? 
person performs certain rites and rituals such as the halq, the slaughter, and then slaughtering the animals, sacrificing the animals, again returning to Mecca, performing the rites and rituals of hajj, and then returning to Mina and camping again for two to three days, and partaking of the meat that one has slaughtered in hajj. All of these rituals on the surface may seem rather strange, especially to a non uh, a person who's not aware, to a newcomer, to an onlooker, who's completely unaware of the teachings regarding this. And yet this isn't the meaning of... The, of course, these are the external rites and rituals of hajj, which are an obligation which have to be performed, without which hajj cannot be complete. But they have an inner meaning, an inner dimension, an inner reality. And these are some of these realities. When a person does rami, start pelting the jamarat, then again, is it just simply pelting these pillars, these stones? Or is it a commemoration of something? It's a commemoration of something. But what does that commemoration itself stand for? On the tenth day of the hijjah on Yom Nahr, on the day of sacrifice, which we also know as the day of Eid, Eid al-Adha, the day of sacrifices. All over the world, people will be performing the sacrifice. And this is related to Hajj, it's connected to Hajj. And even of that, there's an external rite and ritual, which is what we know as the sacrifice, the Qurbani, the Udhiyah. And yet even of that, just as I was saying earlier, about all the rites of Hajj, that they have an external reality, which are these external rites and rituals are meaningless if the inner reality is not realized. Similar, similarly, when we perform the sacrifice, the udhiyah, the qurbani, the slaughter of the animals, Allah Himself says of these, uh, of, of the sacrifice in general, that never will the flesh and the blood of these animals reach Allah. What will reach Allah is taqwa from you. So, simply performing the ritual of blood and flesh and the skin of the animals, Allah says this flesh and this blood will never reach Allah. This is merely a symbol. It's symbolic. What will reach Allah is taqwa from within you. And in a similar manner, all these rites and rituals are ultimately symbolic. One more thing about hajj, which is very different to the other pillars of Islam, is that hajj is related and deeply connected to one family. If we look at salah, Salah is salah. It's prayer. It's not connected to any individual. Or group of individuals. Same with fasting. Same with zakah. But with hajj. Almost the whole of hajj is ultimately connected. And the same will go for umrah, the lesser pilgrimage, the smaller hajj. Hajj is connected 
to one family. And that family is the family of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. And there's a story and a message and a meaning in that too. So let's begin with the first message. What does Hajj remind us of? What should it remind us of? Hajj is a journey. And people make preparations for the journey. And we should make valid preparations for the journey. Imam Bukhari relates from Abdullah ibn Abbas that there were a group of people there were some Muslims from Yemen at the time of the Prophet Some of the people of Yemen, southern Arabia, they would travel to Hajj without making any preparations or carrying any provisions for the journey. And their belief was that we are the guests of Allah, Allah will look after us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse of the Qur'an, وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَىٰ That, وَتَزَوَّدُوا And take provisions. فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَىٰ For indeed, the best of provisions is taqwa. So what's the meaning of that verse? First of all, simply, when you travel, you must make the necessary preparations and take your provisions of food and drink and necessities. Of course, we rely on Allah. However, we tie the camel and then rely on Allah. We adopt the means, the asbab, and then we rely on Allah. We can't shun the means and rely on Allah without adopting the necessary means and asbab. And indeed, when we travel, we make preparations, we take provisions for the journey. And look how much preparation a person makes, even when going for hajj. Of course, the items of clothing that are required for ihram. But apart from ihram, normal clothing for the journey. Money, documents, provisions for food, drink, accommodation, even shopping. For everything. Travel. Immunizations, injections, medicine. A person makes all these necessary preparations. And of course we should. However, there's a reminder and a message even in that. We make all these provisions and we travel. Now on the journey, we already have a mindset from the very outset that not everything is going to go to plan. We will be prepared for emergencies, for inadvertent, for inadvertent occurrences. We will be, we must be prepared for sudden changes. We must be prepared to face discomfort, disruptions. 
even danger at times. Maybe not so much today, but in the olden days, subhanAllah, for those who traveled to Hajj, it was a task in itself. They had to travel through the desert, braving natural dangers, the elements, heat, cold, hunger, thirst, highway robbery, robbers, dacoits. And if they managed to reach the city of Mecca, eventually, and especially when they travelled on the seas, storms, the fear of drowning, for them, it was a journey of many weeks or months, which involved the dangers of possibly dying, struck by disease. A person is prepared for all of this on the journey. Even now, we, despite all the modern-day amenities and comforts, We know that our food will be disrupted, our sleeping will be disrupted, our whole routine will be disrupted. And when we travel, maybe we stop at the airport, we wait. When we arrive at the hedge terminal, we we are willing and ready and mentally prepared to wait for hours on end. And the reasoning in all of this is that ultimately this is a journey, we've come for a particular purpose, the airport lounge, the hedge terminal, the bus stop, the train station, the intermediary stop, the point of transit, all of these locations are not our permanent abode. But we are on a journey and we're travelling. We will put up with all these things in the knowledge that ultimately when we have fulfilled our purpose, we will return home to our original abode. Then we can rest. Then we can relax. Then we don't have to worry about these dangers or these privations. That's the reasoning. And with this reasoning, a person puts up with all of these things and tolerates them. The message for us is, That just as we make preparations for this journey, and we have this mentality for this journey, we should make preparations and take provisions and create this and have this mentality for our greatest journey, which is our journey to the Akhirah. And that's actually what the verse alludes to. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, What is a wadu? And take provisions, i.e. on your journey for Hajj from Yemen to Mecca, from any other region to Mecca. Then Allah says, فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ taqwa." For indeed the best of provisions is taqwa. Meaning, whilst making all your preparations and carrying your provisions to Mecca and beyond, don't forget your greatest necessity, your greatest provision, your greatest currency, your greatest document your greatest food and drink, which is taqwa. And just as you need all your provisions for this journey, you will need your documents and your currency for your greatest journey of the Akhirah. And there, there will be no dinar or dirham, pound or dollar. There the only currency will be taqwa. That is the only provision. So فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ taqwa For indeed the best of all provisions is taqwa. And the inner message is that just as we tolerate all these disruptions and all these privations and all these troubles and discomforts, 
in the knowledge that this is not our permanent abode. When we are traveling, we are in transit. A person should create such a belief about his or her stay in this world and have that same mentality for this journey of life and our original abode to which we shall return and our final destiny and destination, which is the Akhirah. And that's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ taught the companions and the believers in which he practiced himself. There are many narrations to this effect. And in some clear words, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhimah both relate from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu. And Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal relates this also from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah. That Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu says that we visited the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he had laid down on a straw mat. And the mat had left its marks, its imprints, on the body of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in one narration on his side. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu says, when we saw it, I exclaimed, O Messenger of Allah, if only you had indicated to us, we could have laid out some bedding for you. Subhanallah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam lay down on a straw mat. And the mat left its imprints on his noble body. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum, despite living a tough life in the desert and in the cities of Makkah, Medina, even they took pity on Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, seeing him in this state and condition. And they said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, if you had merely indicated to us, we would have laid down some bedding. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's reply to that was, it wasn't that, no, it doesn't matter. Or maybe next time. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said, O Messenger of Allah, why didn't you indicate to us so that we could have laid out some bedding for you? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's immediate reply to that was, مَا لِي وَلِلدُّنْيَا وَمَا أَنَا وَالدُّنْيَا إِلَّا كَرَاكِبٍ إِسْتَظَلَّ تَحْتَ شَجَرَةٍ ثُمَّ رَاحَ وَتَرَكَهَا That what connection do I have with the world? My only relationship with the world is that of a traveller. Who took shade beneath a tree. Then when he was rested, he rose, left. He rose, went, and left the shade of the left the tree in its shade. He said, That is my connection. That is my example. In one narration, that is my example. And Imam Bukhari Rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah. He says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam akhada bimankibay. He took hold of my shoulders. Subhanallah. Imagine the scene. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam takes hold of the shoulders of Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah and facing him fully, holding his shoulders so that he can 
attract and arrest his complete and total attention, he says to him, Oh Abdullah, Ya Abdullah, Kun fid dunya ka'annaka gharibun aw abiru sabeel. Be in the world as though you are a total stranger or as though you are a traveler, a wayfarer. That's all. And the wording of the hadith is unique in itself. There is a progression from a stranger to a wayfarer. So first his words are, be in the world as though you are a stranger. Oh, Abiru Sabil, or a wayfarer, a traveler. But the meaning of or, oh here is not or, but it means nay. So, oh Abdullah, be in the world as though you are a stranger. Nay, a wayfarer, a traveler. The progression is that a stranger, you can have a stranger in a city in which he has made his, in which he has made his home. That is his permanent abode. But he's still unknown, relatively unknown. He's a stranger to the people. He keeps himself to himself. But still, he has made it his permanent abode. So the Prophet wasallam said, Be in the world as though, as though you are a stranger. But not a stranger who has made, in that he is not connected with the people. He shuns the world and its people. And he keeps himself to himself. No, even more importantly, be as though you are a traveler. In that even a stranger can make a place permanent. You are not to make this place and this abode permanent. You are merely a passerby and a traveler. And Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi relates the same hadith from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah. In the narration of Tirmidhi there is an additional few, there are additional few words. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to me, O oh Abdullah, be in the world as though you are a stranger, nay, a wayfarer, a traveler. وَعُدَّ نَفْسَكَ فِي أَهْلِ الْقُبُورِ And count yourself from amongst the people of the graves. I.e. from now, consider yourself already one of the dead. Consider yourself dead. And this is why Imam Mujahid, rahmatullahi the student of Abdullah ibn Umar and Abdullah ibn Abbas, and other companions, he says, Abdullah ibn Umar would say that when you rise in the morning, do not wait for the evening, and when you arrive in the, at the evening, do not wait for the morning, because you do not even know what your name will be tomorrow. Anyway, the beginning part of the hadith is the main part relevant to us now and to this discussion of hajj, which is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam lived as a traveler and a wayfarer. He considered the dunya a place of transit. And this is what he taught the companions and the believers. If we treat our journey of life just as we consider the journey of hajj, and if we make preparations for our journey of the Akhirah, just as we adequately make preparations for the journey of Hajj, then we can say that our journey will be a worthwhile one. Apart from the reminder of the journey, 
One of the main things which actually escapes us about the Hajj is this sanctified, sacred state that a person enters into when they travel to Hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, at the beginning of the verse in which this sentence is also mentioned, وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ taqwa And make, take provisions, for indeed the best of provisions is taqwa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الْحَجُّ أَشْهُرٌ مَعْلُومَاتٌ Hajj is a time of known months, i.e. these three months of Shawwal, Dhul Qa'da and Dhul Hijjah. So الْحَجُّ أَشْهُرٌ مَعْلُومَاتٌ Hajj is a time of known months. فَمَنْ فَرَضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجُّ so whoever makes the Hajj obligatory in these three months, in these months of Hajj, فَلَا رَفَثْ Then let there be no lewdness. وَلَا فُسُوق And let there be no transgression. وَلَا جِدَارْ And let there be no quarreling. فَالْحَجْ In the Hajj. وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ يَعْلَمُهُ اللَّهِ And whatever good you do, Allah knows it. وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى And take provisions, for indeed the best of provisions is taqwa. وَاتَّقُونِ يَا أُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ And fear me, be conscious of me, O those who possess intelligence. The verse ends on taqwa. That's the most important thing. Take provisions of taqwa and have taqwa in relation to me. Fear me, be conscious of me, O those who possess intelligence. The beginning of the verse speaks about something which, like I said, whose reality actually may escape us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Hajj is a time of known months, so whoever makes Hajj obligatory in these months. The meaning of making Hajj obligatory in this verse is by entering into the state of Ihram. By actually, you see, Hajj can become obligatory long before the months of Hajj, if someone accumulates sufficient wealth. And they have the means and the resources to travel to Hajj, and the path is clear, there are no impediments, then Hajj becomes obligatory. Now that could happen at any time of the year, not just in the months of Hajj. So the meaning of فَمَنْ فَرْضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجَّةِ Whoever makes Hajj obligatory in these months is the enactment and the fulfillment of that obligation of Hajj. And how does a person enact and fulfill the obligation of Hajj? The meaning of this verse specifically is, a person enters into the state of ihram. Now normally when we say ihram, the common meaning of ihram is the clothing. Now of course, it is correct, because of excessive usage, to call the clothing ihram, but that's not the original meaning of the word ihram, and the clothing was not actually known as ihram. Ihram is a state. Ihram is a state. And this this is what I mean by this is what I mean by the reality this reality may escape us. Ihram is a state. 
a condition, a trance, a transforming into a particular state for a certain amount of time. And this state, this sacred state and condition, is actually present in Hajj, in fasting, and in Salah. And the wording is similar for all of them. When a person begins their Salah, they do so by facing the Qibla and saying, Allahu Akbar. This first takbir is known as takbiratul ihram, takbiratul tahreem, or even the tahreemah. So what does it mean? It means the takbir of consecration, the takbir of sanctification, the takbir of Creating a sanctified state. What does that mean when a person says Allahu Akbar? That is the takbiratul tahreem, takbiratul ihram. A person enters into a haram, sacred state. Now, in that sacred state, In that haram state, and haram not in this... In fact, this is where the word haram actually comes from. Haram means forbidden, but it means sacred. Because, just as we call the haram, the sanctuary. The sanctuary is known as a haram of Mecca, and the haram of Medina. So this is a sanctuary because so many things are forbidden therein. So this is also a sacred state of salah. In this sacred state, so many things which are normally halal become haram. Talking, drinking, eating, excessive action. In fact, even turning one's chest away from the qibla violates the salah. So a person enters into a sacred state. In that sacred state, not only should a person perform the external rituals, but there should also be an inner reality to that salah. Allah says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Indeed, successful are those believers who are khashi'oon, humble, who are humble and devout in their prayers. And what's the meaning of khushur, khashi'in? You may all have heard the phrase khushur, khudur. Khushur, khudur. In salah. It's a famous phrase. We pray, people say to each other, pray that Allah grants me khushur and khudur in salah. So what's khushur and khudur? Both mean submission and humility. Khushu' means submission and humility. Khudu' means submission and humility. But being Arabic, there's a very subtle and beautiful difference. Khudu' means physical submission and humility. 
of something physical, i.e. external. And khushur means the submission and the humility of the heart. That's why in another verse in Surah Al-Hadid, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَمْ يَأْنِ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَنْ تَخْشَعَ قُلُوبُهُمْ لِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَمَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْحَقِّ Has a time not yet arrived for the believers that their hearts submit and humble themselves to the remembrance of Allah and to that truth which has come down to them. But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ The Apparent humility is not sufficient. The khudur is of the limbs. But what is really required in salah is the khushur, the submission and the humility of the heart. And the total concentration. So the external rituals of salah are not sufficient. There has to be this inner reality and this inner dimension. Without which... Salah can, the reality of salah cannot be realized. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curses those who pray, but don't pray as they should. Not those who don't pray. فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ يُرَاءُونَ So woe be unto those who pray. But when they pray, they merely do, do so for show and ostentation. In a, this is, these are the hypocrites. وَإِذَا قَامُوا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ قَامُوا كُسَالًا يُرَاءُونَ النَّاسِ وَلَا يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا And when they rise to prayer, they rise indolently in a lazy manner, merely to show the people they do not remember Allah in this salah. So Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam have both condemned the external ritual and the apparent performance of prayer without that inner reality. So in salah you have this Sacred state which must be realized. And when does that sacred state end? With the salam, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. That's what we call the tahleel. That's why in a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, the tahreem of salah is the takbir, and the tahleel of salah is the taslim, the salam. So in reality, Allahu Akbar means consecrating oneself into that sacred state. And assalamu alaykum, the taslim is the tahleel. It's the unraveling and the ending and the opening of that sacred state. Now that's as far as salah is concerned. Siyam is a similar thing. When a person begins a fast and ends eating and drinking, Islam doesn't say this is merely a time of starting to... of beginning to remain hungry and thirsty. No. When a person makes an intention of fasting and then ceases eating and drinking, a person actually enters into a sacred state. That fasting is a sacred state in which it's a haram state. It's a sacred state, a sanctified state, during which those things which are normally halal become haram. Drinking, eating, for a specified period. Similar to Hajj. When a person enters into the state of Ihram, it's not simply about putting on a, an item of clothing. It's about entering into a sanctified state, a sacred condition. Similar to Salah, similar to fasting. And I'll tell you how similar it is to fasting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Hajjah ashurun ma'lumat, فَمَنْ فَرْضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجَّةِ فَلَا رَفَثَ وَلَا فُسُوقَ وَلَا جِدَالَ فِي الْحَجِّ 
Hajj is a time of known months. So whoever makes obligatory upon themselves a Hajj in these months, then there should be no lewdness. And there should be no transgression. And there should be no quarreling in Hajj. Now, Allah mentions three things. Rafath, Fusuq and Jidar. Lewdness, transgression and quarreling. And this is why in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says Man hajja lillah falam yarfuth walam yafsuq raja'aka yawmi waladathu ummah Whoever performs the hajj for the sake of Allah and then falam yarfuth he is not lewd in the hajj walam yafsuq and he does not transgress and I'll explain, I'll explain the meaning of fusuq, transgression so, مَنْ حَجَّ لِلَّهِ Whoever does hajj for the sake of Allah, فَلَمْ يَرْفُثْ And then he is not lewd. وَلَمْ يَفْسُقْ And he does not transgress, i.e. he does not sin. رَجَعَكَ يَوْمِ وَلَدَتْهُ أُمُّهُ He shall return like the day his mother first gave birth to him. In a state of purity. With a sin shed. But the person must abstain from these three things. فُسُوق Rafath and Jidar. Now as I said, see how closely related these acts of worship are. Allah says about Hajj, that when you enter into the sacred state of Ihram, there should be no Rafath, Fusuq or Jidar, no quarreling, no transgression, and no lewdness in backward order. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a hadith related by Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi and Imam Muslim and others. From Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu, and this is the wording of Sahih al-Bukhari. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam relates from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah says, Kullu amal ibn Adam lahu illa as-siyama fa'innahu li wa ana adzibah. Every deed is for man except fasting. Every deed is for, the, is for the son of Adam, except fasting. It is for me, and I shall reward it. وَالصِّيَامُ The Prophet ﷺ continues. وَالصِّيَامُ And fasting is a shield. وَإِذَا كَانَ يَوْمُ أَحَدِكُمْ And when it is the day of fasting for any one of you, فَلَا يَرْفُثْ And so when it is the day of fasting for any one of you, he should not be lewd. Nor should he raise his voice. And if anyone verbally abuses him, or fights with him, quarrels with him, then he should say, I am a fasting person. By that Allah, in whose hands rests the soul of Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the, the odor of a fasting person 
is more fragrant to Allah than even this fragrance of musk. For the fasting person are two moments of joy. When he breaks his fast, he is joyous over his fast. And when he shall meet his Lord, he shall be overjoyed at his fast. When he breaks his fast, he is overjoyed at his food, at his breaking. When he meets his Lord, he shall be overjoyed over his fast. But the point of the hadith that I wish to discuss is, وَإِذَا كَانَ يَوْمُ الصَّوْمِ أَحَدِكُمْ فَلَا يَرْفُثْ وَلَا يَسْخَبْ فَإِنْ سَابَهُ أَحَدٌ أَوْ قَاتَلَهُ فَلْيَقُلْ إِنِّي مْرُؤُمْ صَائِمُ When he is fasting, when this is a time of fasting for any, any one of you, then let him not be lewd. And let him not raise his voice. And if someone abuses him or fights with him, then he should merely say in reply, I'm a fasting person. Allah says in the Qur'an that when a person enters into the sacred state of haram, there should be no lewdness, no quarreling, no transgression or sinning. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, when one of you enters into the sacred state of fasting, then there should be no lewdness and no quarreling. SubhanAllah. Or the raising of one's voice. This is the meaning of that inner reality. A person should think purely, breathe purity, feel purely, have pure emotions, pure deeds, pure thoughts, pure words. And a person should abstain from lewdness, immorality, indecency, and transgression. And the meaning of transgression in all of these verses and words actually simply means sinning. But the meaning is called trans- fusuq. The original meaning of fusuq in Arabic means to go beyond the limits, to transgress, to come out of the limits. That's why in Arabic uh, a mouse is called fawaisiq or fawaisiqa. A little mouse is called the little fasiq. Fawaisiq is a diminutive ism tasghir of fasiq. Now fasiq means a sinful person. So why is the mouse called a fawaisiq, the little fasiq? Simply because it comes out of its hole. So this is the meaning, original meaning of fusuq, to come out. And that's the meaning of transgression. When a person comes out of the limits set by Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that person is a fasiq. And that's in, in hajj and in fasting, it means any kind of sin. If Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa have forbidden it, it's a sin. So, when a person goes for hajj, subhanallah, there is this inner reality which must be observed. And this is something which escapes us. Not only in hajj, but in siyam, and even in salah. What escapes us? The realization that we are actually in a sanctified condition and a unique sacred state, which must be observed. And this sacred state lasts for that period. So it's not simply a question of saying, Allahu Akbar, Assalamu Alaikum Rahmatullah. It's not simply a question of stopping eating and then beginning to eat again at iftar. And it's not simply a question of putting on two pieces of cloth. Rather, these are all symbolic. What really matters is the realization 
that we are now entering into a sacred state before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even the ihram means so much. What does ihram remind us of? What should it remind us of? Subhanallah, equality. When a person wears these simple pieces of cloth, they cannot be normal stitched clothes. When a person wears these simple pieces of cloth and remains in them for that whole period of hajj and remains in them in that state of ihram, it should be a reminder to the individual and to everyone else that this is my reality, this is who I am. No jewelry, no adornment, no fashion, simplicity, for that is who I am. Bareheaded, humble and devout before my Creator. And we are all equal, the king and the knave, the prince and the pauper, the rich and the poor. The wealthy and the impoverished, the high and low, the mighty and the meek. People of all backgrounds, all ethnicities, all languages, all colours and complexions. From every region of the earth. People of all stature. People of every status, of every background, from every walk of life. The truth is... They are all equal before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the plain of Arafat. Just in their multitudes. A sea, an ocean of people. Mingling. Thronging. Swarming. Indistinguishable from each other. That plain, that scene, that sight. Should remind us of the plane of reckoning before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. All will be equal. Just as ihram makes us equal, those simple pieces of cloth make us equal, death will make us equal. Death is a great leveler and the terminator of all pleasures. And the Prophet wasallam has said in the hadith, Excessively remember or make excessive the remembrance of the demolisher of all pleasures. Death. Death is a great level. And that's why when a person works so hard to earn so much and to accumulate so much wealth, all it means at the end of the day is that the person will be one of the richest buried in the graveyard. That's what it amounts to at the end of the day. But there's no point being the richest man in the graveyard. For none of that wealth will be of any use whatsoever. So death is a great leveller. And we are reminded of that in Hajj, in the simple state of Ihram before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bareheaded, dishevelled. Unkempt. This is the whole idea of being, of not clipping our nails, trimming our hair, or applying fragrance. 
is that we enact, we act out, and we make very apparent, and we observe in ourselves and in the rest, our reality of being unkempt, disheveled, unworthy, worthless, meaningless before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is something else that the hajj and the state of ihram and the clothing of ihram should remind us of. And we should practice this humility, not just in the clothes of hajj, not just at the time of hajj, but at all times. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, إِنَّا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ مِنْ ذَكَرٍ وَأُنْثَىٰ وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ شُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلَ لِتَعَارَفُوا إِنَّا أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ In Surah Al-Hujarat, Allah says, O people, verily we have created you from one man and one woman. And we have made you into nations and tribes so that you may come to know each other. I.e., our ethnicity, our backgrounds, our titles, our names, the names of our forefathers, of our families, of our clans, of our tribes, and of our nations. What purpose do these names and tags and titles serve? The only purpose they serve is a tag and a form of identity. That's all, so that we may know each other. Oh, he's from this tribe, he's from that nation, he or she's from that family, he or she's from that clan. A tag of identity, no more. Belonging to a clan, a family, or a tribe does not make us any better or holier than anyone else. So much so, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Surah Al-Ahzab, Ya nisa'an nabiyya lastunna ka'ahadim minan nisa'i in ittaqaytun. O wives of the Prophet, you are quite unlike any other women if you adopt taqwa. And the meaning was, O wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, do not think that by merely marrying into the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, by being his noble, by being his wives, by being the wives of the most beloved messenger of Allah, that you automatically have a greater privilege and status than anybody else. But, yes indeed, O wives of the Prophet, you are quite unlike any other women. You will be greater you will be superior. You will be more worthy and virtuous. In ittaqaytun, if you adopt taqwa. And that's why in Surah Al-Tahreem, Allah warned the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, citing the example of the wives of Prophet Nuh and Lut That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah strikes the parable. ضرب الله مثلا للذين كفروا امرأة نوح وامرأة لوط كانتا تحت عبدين من عبادنا صالحين فخانتاهما فلم يغنيا عنهما من الله شيئا وقيل ادخل النار مع الداخلين الله strikes the parable for those who disbelieve of the wives of نوح and لوط عليهم السلام they were in the marriage of two of our pious servants 
But they betrayed them. And their betrayal was not in the sense of honor and dignity. Their betrayal was an iman. That they opposed their husbands in faith. And they mistreated their husbands. فَلَمْ يُغْنِيَ عَنْهُمَا مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيَاءَ Allah says, they, Nuh and Lut did not avail or save these two wives of theirs in the least. And they were both told to enter the hellfire along with the rest who entered. That's a verse of Surah Al-Tahreem. And that verse of Surah Al-Tahreem with this message was actually a warning to the wives of the Prophet So belonging to a family, belonging to a clan or a tribe, having a certain surname or a title or label is only for the purpose of knowing each other, identifying each other. It's a tag of identity. No more. So that you may come to know each other, you may identify each other. So then, what marks a person, Allah continues in that verse of Surah Al-Hujarat, إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ Verily, the most noble, honored amongst you by Allah is the one who is the most fearing of Allah and the most God-conscious of you. The one who has the most taqwa. That's what the reality of Hajj should remind us of. Not just in the time of Hajj, but for all times. I also mentioned that Hajj is intricately linked with one family. And this is something to reflect on. It really is. Unlike Salah, unlike Zakah, unlike Siyam, fasting, Hajj is for some reason, is for a number of reasons, uniquely connected with one family. And which family is that? The family of the Prophet Ibrahim When we travel to Hajj, we respond to the call of Sayyidina Ibrahim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Holy Quran, وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ يَأْتُوكَ رِجَالًا وَعَلَى كُلِّ ضَامِرٍ يَأْتِينَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَجٍ عَمِيقٍ لَيَشْهَدُوا مَنَافِعَ لَهُمْ وَيَذْكُرُ اسْمَ اللَّهِ فِي أَيَّامٍ مَعْلُومَاتٍ Allah says, addressing the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, O Ibrahim, announce to the people the Hajj. They shall come to you on foot and on every lean camel, they sh- which shall come. Min kulli fajjin amiq. From every deep ravine, i.e. from all paths, from all valleys, from all ravines, people will make their way to Hajj. And we witness that today. And the verse continues, so that they may witness and be present at benefits for them. And so that they they may remember Allah for a select number of known days. And we witness that spectacle. At the time of Hajj, Allahu Akbar, people from all over the world, on every form of transport, by air, by sea, by public transport, by private transport, even those who travel by private jets will land there. And even before they land, 
they will have already entered into the state of ihram before they disembark from the exclusive private jets they will have already humbled themselves and equalized themselves with everyone else even those who have come on foot in the state of ihram so by air by ship by sea by road on foot by car by animals they shall come from all directions from all planes at all elevations and they shall all swarm and converge in the holy city of Makkah and in the plains of Arafat and Muzdalifah and Mina for the Hajj and yet when Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam built the Kaaba for Allah azza wa jal along with his son Ismail alayhi salam there were very few people and before that there was nothing but the foundation sayyidina ibrahim alayhi salam he left his family there so when we travel for hajj we are actually responding to the call of sayyidina ibrahim alayhi salam when he built the kaaba along with his son allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him That purify my house for those who will come for the, and perform tawaf around it, circumambulate around it. For those who will do a'tikaf and remain in the masjid. For those who will bow and prostrate and announce to the people, they shall come to you on foot and on every lean camel. We learn from the narrations Abdullah, although it's not a direct hadith, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah, he related this. And the famous imams amongst the tabi'een, Imam Mujahid, Imam Sa'id ibn Jubayr, Imam Ikrimah, all of these were towering students of the noble companions. They have all said the same. So surely there must, there must be a basis for this. For they, especially Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah, he would not have said something without some basis from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah and these other imams of tafsir from amongst the tabi'een say that when Allah azza wa jal told Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam وَأَذْنِ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ that announced to the people the hajj they will come to you Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam asked Allah, Oh Allah, how and who? Who shall I call out to? And how will they hear for there is no one? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, You announce and I will convey your announcement and your voice to everybody. So Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam gave the announcement and the invitation of Hajj. It said that even the mountains and the trees and the rocks echoed the voice of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. And his voice even reached babies in the wombs and even the spirits that had not yet been born. And all of them responded with the words, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik. Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik.
So when Sayyidina Ibrahim السلام, gave this announcement, we all said لبيك in one way or the other. And whether we go to Hajj or not, whether we are destined to ever travel to those holy lands or not, we have already said لبيك. And people's travel to the Hajj is in response to the call of Sayyidina Ibrahim They travel to the Kaaba. That Kaaba was built by Ibrahim in Ismail They drink from the well of Zamzam. That Zamzam well was the barakah of Sayyidina Ismail and Ummuna Hajar radiyallahu anha. When we run between the two hillocks of Safa and Marwa, that Sa'i, that running, this ritual is the, enact, is the enactment of the desperate search for water of Ummuna Hajar radiyallahu anha. Allah loved it so much, Allah made it a part and a ritual of Hajj and Umrah till Yawmul Qiyamah. When we do the Rami of the Jamarat, we do so in memory of Sayyidina Ibrahim and Ismail alayhim When we perform the Udhiyah, the Qurbani, the sacrifice, whether it's in Mina or whether it's in any other part of the world, on the 10th of the Hijjah, on the day of Eid, we do so in commemoration of the sacrifice of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, or his willingness to sacrifice his son, the sacrifice of both father and son. The whole Hajj is so deeply connected with Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam and his family. Why? So much so that Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Holy Quran, إِنَّ أَوَّلَ بَيْتٍ وُضِعَ لِلنَّاسِ لِلَّذِي بِبَكَّةِ مُبَارَكًا وَهُدًا لِلْعَالَمِينَ that verily the very first house that has been established for mankind, i.e. for their guidance, is surely that one which is in Bakka, which is an alternative name for Makkah, alternative pronunciation. Makkah is called Bakka and Makkah. A house which is blessed and a source of guidance. For the worlds. Therein, fihi ayatun bayyinat, there are clear signs. Now, subhanAllah, Allah speaks about the Kaaba. Allah speaks about His house. Allah says it's the first house established for the guidance, for the whole of mankind, for their guidance, for their success, for their blessing. And it contains many clear signs. And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions... Only one out of all of those clear signs of the Kaaba. And what does he mention? Maqam Ibrahim, the stand of Ibrahim. Why, were, why is Hajj? Why is the Kaaba? Why is Umrah? Why are all these rites and rituals of Hajj and Umrah, the greater and the lesser pilgrimage, and the location of Hajj, why are they all so deeply connected with Sayyidina Ibrahim salam? And his family, Ummuna Hajar radiallahu anha, his wife, and his son Ismail alayhi salam. The reason is the submission and the sacrifice of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. This is the reason. We think his submission and his sacrifice is restricted to the story of him being willing to sacrifice his son. But that is just one page 
of a whole book of submission and sacrifice on the part of Sayyidina Ibrahim His submission and sacrifice began very early on. He was surrounded by hostile elements amongst his people. He believed. Many of them disbelieved. They persecuted him. They pressured him. In the end, he was, in, he was even threatened with torture, death, and being flung into the fire. Sayyidina Ibrahim salam announced to his people that I am emigrating to my Lord. And he emigrated. He shunned and abandoned everything. So the hijrah is a sunnah of the Anbiya Emigration is a sunnah of the Anbiya When he emigrated, he prayed, he, he was married, he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a child. Not for one year, not for a few years, not even for a decade, but for many decades. He continued to pray to Allah all the way till the age of 80 for a son. For a child. Allah blessed him at the age of 80 with a child. As soon as Allah had granted him a child, after decades of waiting, scores of years of waiting, immediately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, take your son and his mother to the barren valley of Mecca and leave them there. Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam took them to Mecca al-Mukarramah. There there was nothing at that time, there was no inhabitation, not a single house, not a single blade of grass, no vegetation, just the barren valley of Mecca, surrounded by its mountains and its hillocks. Sayyidina Ibrahim salam left Ummuna Hajar radiallahu anha, cradling her baby son Ismail alayhi salam. He gave them, it's a narration of Bukhari, he gave her a bag of water and a bag of dates. A leather skin of water and a bag of dates. And then he turned around. His wife, Ummuna Hajar radiallahu anha, asked him, as is mentioned in Bukhari, Allahu amaraka bihada, did Allah command you to do this? He said, yes. Her reply, in that case, Allah will never allow us to perish. Such iman, such yaqeen, such faith, such reliance and tawakkul. And he turned. And then, at the edge of the valley, he turned round again. With great emotion, he prayed to Allah, رَبَّنَا إِنِّي أَسْكَمْتُ مِنْ ذُرِّيَّةِ بِوَادٍ غَيْرِ ذِي زَرْعٍ عِنْدَ بَيْتِكَ الْمُحَرَّمِ رَبَّنَا لِيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ فَجْعَلْ أَفْئِذَةٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ تَهْوِي إِلَيْهِمْ وَرْزُقْهُمْ مِّنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَشْكُرُونَ O our Lord, verily, I have settled my family, members of my family, بِوَادٍ غَيْرِ ذِي زَرْعٍ in a valley without any vegetation, by your sacred house. Why, O Allah, why? These aren't the words of the verse, and this is my question, Why? His reply was, the reason he gave in his dua, رَبَّنَا لِيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ O our Lord, so that they may establish salah. Therefore, cause the hearts of the people to flutter towards them. 
and sustain them and give them of provisions, of fruits, in the hope that they may be grateful. See how Allah accepted the dua of Sayyidina Ibrahim Not a single blade of vegetation, not a single blade of grass, no birds in the air, because there was no water, no animals, nothing. And how Allah accepted his dua so that they may establish salah, cause the hearts of the people to flutter to them in love and in yearning, and yearning. Allah says, and how, remember how we have made the house a mathaba, a place of oft returning, and a security and a sanctuary for the people. Allah has made Makkah a mathaba, and the meaning of mathaba is when you go and you leave, you want to go back again. That's the meaning of mathaba. A place of off returning where you want to go and re- return again and again. And that's the meaning, oh Allah, make the hearts of the people flutter towards them in love. And indeed Allah accepted his dua. And warzukum min thamarat, sustain them and provide for them of fruits. There's nothing that grows there in the immediate region. Even the dates come from afar, other regions. But if is merely 40 miles away. Taif is the same distance from Makkah as Jeddah. Jeddah is to the northwest-west, and Taif is to the south-east-east. Opposite directions. 40 miles that way, Jeddah, 40 miles south-east-east, that is Taif. It's only approximately 40 miles away. In Taif, the temperature, very moderate, hardly ever rises above 25, 26. Beautiful climates, dairy, uh, dairy animals, dairy farms in life, grapes, and all kinds of produce, just 40 miles away. And this is a question. If that was the area which, was, which had a moderate climate, higher elevation, enough rainfall, where even dairy farms exist, and you had all kinds of fruits and produce, and just 40 miles away, what was it that caused them to settle in the barren valley of Mecca? And see how it is occupied today. Allah accepted all of his du'as. And the reason was his submission. And his sacrifice. Look what he had just done. He had left his what? A family, his son and her, his mother, uh, and the mother of that son with one bag of dates and a sheepskin of water, a leather skin of water, sorry. And that was the ultimate sacrifice of father and mother and of the baby too. When the water ran out, that's when Jibreel his, that's when Ummuna Hajar radiallahu anha ran to and fro. In her search for water, Allah made that sa'i part of the rituals of Hajj and Umrah till Yawmul Qiyamah. Jibreel alayhi salam brought Zamzam for the sake of Sayyidina Ismail alayhi salam. Till this day, people drink of the water of Zamzam, carry it, take it away with them, and it's self-replenishing. It never ceases to flow. 
And that's in the middle of Mecca, in the middle of the desert. And not only that, but as the Prophet ﷺ says, The water of Zamzam fulfills the desire for which it is drunk. That means any dua you make at the time of drinking Zamzam, Allah accepts that dua. Zamzam, the water of Zamzam is a shifa, it's a cure. It really is. So the water from the barakah of Sayyidina Ismail salam not only nourishes, not only irrigates, not only waters, but also cures mankind. All of this barakah because of the submission and the sacrifice of Sayyidina Ismail salam. When he, he then returned, when he went back, why did he go back? He only went back to build the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's a long story about the sacrifice of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. That son which he waited for so long, and which he had to leave in Mecca. Now Allah tells him, go back, not to visit him, but go back to slaughter. Father and son agreed. Father and son accepted. They both submitted. And were willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of Allah. That was their submission and sacrifice. His submission and sacrifice, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذْ ابْتَلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمَ رَبُّهُ بِكَلِمَاتٍ فَأَتَمَّهُنَّ قَالَ إِنِّي جَاعِلُكَ لِلنَّاسِ إِمَامًا And remember when Allah tested Ibrahim with many words, i.e. many tests. فَأَتَمَّهُنَّ So he fulfilled all of them, he passed all of them. Allah said, I am going to make you an imam and a leader of the people. Because of his submission and his sacrifice. When we do the udhiyah, the qurbani and the sacrifice on the day of Eid, which is ultimately connected to hajj, it's not simply a sacrifice. This is merely symbolic. This is why Allah says, The flesh and the blood of these animals will never reach Allah. What will reach Allah is taqwa from you. That is an enactment. That is, that is a commemoration and an enactment of the sacrifice and the submission of Sayyidina Ibrahim and Sayyidina Ismail. His whole life and the life of his son and the life of the son's mother, the life of the whole family was one of sacrifice and submission. This is why Allah honored him and elevated him. So that the whole of Hajj and Umrah are deeply connected with Sayyidina Ibrahim salam and his family. He is so honored that when we perform salah, the only name of a prophet to be mentioned in salah, along with our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is the Prophet Ibrahim salam and his family. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim inna kahmidun majeed. اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد. His is the only name mentioned in Salah. In the Quran, Allah says the first house that was established for the for mankind is in Bakka. Surely that one in Bakka as a guidance and as a blessing for mankind. There are many clear signs therein. Of all the signs of the house of Allah, Allah only mentions Maqam Ibrahim, the stand of Ibrahim. Such an honor. Why? Because of his submission and his sacrifice. And that is one more lesson of Hajj. 
submission and sacrifice. A lot more can be said. I'll end with this. Just to recap some of the things that the Hajj reminds us of, should remind us, should remind us of, should be a teaching of, and should inspire us to, is the realization of our reality in this world, that we are in transit. This is a journey, and that we need to create and carry our provisions for the journey of the Akhirah. And the only provision, the only currency, the only document that we require for the Akhirah is Taqwa. The Hajj should remind us of our lowly and humble origin, our lowly and humble status, our dependence on Allah, our being unkempt and disheveled. That's our reality. We may paint ourselves with cosmetics momentarily. We may apply a veneer and a sheen of shine and a veneer of cosmetics, but that is only skin deep. We may apply fragrance momentarily, but all of this cannot hide the rottenness of our being beneath, our true, unkempt, disheveled state, which we reveal in Hajj and in Ihram and in Umrah. We should be reminded of our holy origins, who we are. This is why someone was said, do you know who you are? Someone asked, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? It's one of the people of the past. Do you know who I am? Yes. You emerge from a place of urine. You emerged from a place of urine. From your father and then your mother. And even now you carry filth in your body. That's who you are. We should be reminded of our origins, our humble self, who we are actually, our dependence on Allah. Hajj should remind us of the egalitarian principles of Islam, that we are all equal before Allah, regardless of who or what we are. Hajj should remind us of humility, we must be humble at all times, for that's who we are ultimately. And Hajj should remind us that this is actually a sanctified and a sacred state of ihram, just like we enter into a sacred and sanctified state in salah and in siyam and in fasting. And that during that time, we are in communication with Allah, with our Lord. There are all these lessons of Hajj. And the greatest lesson is that the Hajj, in all its rites and rituals, is ultimately a commemoration and enactment and a connection with one noble family, the family of the Prophet Ibrahim Why are they so honored? Because of their submission and their sacrifice. That is what Allah Azza wa requires. And finally, these external acts, these rites, these rituals may have an external dimension, but they are not sufficient in themselves until the inner reality is not realized. And 
That inner reality must be realized in hajj, in sacrifice, in udhiyah, in salah, in siyam. And as Allah Azza wa says, even about the sacrifice that we will perform and the qurbani that we will do in within a month, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the flesh and the blood will never reach Allah of these animals. What will reach Allah is taqwa from you. And that's what must be our inner state. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand, may Allah make us amongst those who are people of taqwa. May Allah accept our submission and our sacrifice. May Allah make us amongst those who follow in the footsteps of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam and our noble Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasooli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions For additional lectures and products please visit www.akstore.com We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com Produced under license by Alcotha Productions All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.